you got your Bible, I encourage you to open up to 1 Peter. Before we turn our eyes there, let's ask the Lord to help us during this time of His Word. Father, thank You so much that You are willing to hear our cries for mercy. Father, where would we be without You, without Your steadfast love towards us? Father, thank You for caring about us, for having compassion on us, for showering us with Your mercy and Your grace. And Father, we ask that You would do that now as we come to Your Word. Father, penetrate Your Word deep into our hearts. Father, may Your Word do the work that You send it out to do. May it not return void. Make us sensitive to the leading of Your Spirit and obedient to the commands of Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 13 verse 34 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and you also love one another. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. Romans 13, 8, owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John three twenty three, And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John four eleven. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Chapter 4, verse 12 of 1 John, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and His love is perfected in us. 2 John 1, 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. See a repeated theme there? Hopefully you picked up on it. We are to what? Love one another. That's right. Love is central to God's word. Love is central to who God is. And today, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 23, as we continue to look at an exile standard of living, we will see that love must be central to our relationships as people born of God through his word. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, we find these words. This is the word of God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, 
But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, if you recall that Peter, the apostle, is writing to the elect exiles. We saw that in chapter one, verse one. These elect exiles are those God has chosen to belong to himself and at the same time has chosen to not belong to the world in which they live. And he writes this letter to teach these elect exiles, to teach Christians, to teach us as believers in Christ how we are to live in this world that we don't belong to. We began in verses 3 through 12 with a foundation of praise, calling us to praise God for the great salvation that he has given to us. And then in verse 13, he got to the action part. In light of the great salvation that we've been given, we are called to action. We began with preparing our minds for action. We saw that we're called to holy conduct in verse 17. We saw that we're to have a reverent fear of who God is. All that centered on the amazing work of Christ for us on the cross where he ransomed us, redeemed us from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. So in chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, we said this last week, the blessing of salvation will result in a lifestyle of obedience to the God who saved you. We could keep that same uh, summary uh, sentence for verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, but I'm going to make it, I'm going to tweak it just a little to make it uh, specific to this passage. And so today, in verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, we will learn this, that the blessing of salvation will result in a lifestyle of love toward fellow exiles. A lifestyle of love toward fellow exiles. Remember, we don't want to divorce the, the lifestyle that God has called us to from the salvation that he has blessed us with. So this is still following on the heels of verses 3 through 12. I know you're probably tired of me saying verses 3 through 12 of chapter 1. But I'm going to keep saying it because if we lose sight of the great salvation that God has blessed us with, we'll never live for his glory. Because as Peter's going to say throughout the rest of this letter, living for God in a world that is opposed to God is very, very, very difficult. It comes with its own unique set of trials and tribulations. So we must remember the great salvation that he has given to us. But here in verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, he calls us to a particular way of living. Part of God's standard for our lives is that we live in love toward our fellow exiles. As we've talked about, to be chosen by God means that we come into a relationship with him. But it also means that we come into a relationship with everyone else who has been chosen by God. Everyone else who is an elect exile. We're not exiles in isolation from one another, but we are exiles in community with one another. To be adopted by God, to have God as our father, means to be adopted in his family, which means to have brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a particular way that we're to interact with one another, and that way is the way of love. And last week we said that the privilege of salvation comes with certain responsibilities in our lives. God saved us from the passions of our former ignorance. God saved us from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers we looked at in the previous passages. And therefore, we have a responsibility to live out our salvation that God has blessed us with. 
And so we come to two more responsibilities, two more commands of the Christian life in this passage. The privilege of salvation comes with the responsibility to, number one today, love one another. To live in genuine love toward fellow exiles. The command here is to love one another. We are to live in genuine love toward fellow exiles. Notice in verse 22, Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for there's a purpose statement for a sincere brotherly love. And then he gives us the first of two commands in this passage. Love one another, love one another. We are called to a sincere brotherly love that Phrase brotherly love is the word, you, you know it, um, it's the word Philadelphia. It's the word Philadelphia, it's the word that speaks of love and the, and the relation that we have towards one another. It is brotherly love. It's the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ and we are commanded to that in this passage. Now, in verses 22 through 25, we see three things about this love. The first and the third are because statements. We are to love because that's the first and the third and sandwiched in between those. We have the way in which we are to love. That's how God inspired his word to be written. That's how Peter has written it. So we're going to take it in that order. We're going to take a one because statement. Then we'll look at how we are to love. And then we're going to take the next because statement. The first because statement is this. Our love for one another is prompted by our purification. Why are we to love one another with a sincere brotherly love? Why are we to love one another earnestly from a pure heart? Well, the first reason in verse 22 is because our souls have been purified by our obedience to the truth. Our souls have been purified. This is the purification from sin. Listen, we have sin in our hearts. We are born with sin in our hearts. We are not born good people. We need to be purified from the sin that fills us. And God graciously does that. And we'll talk about that phrase, obedience to the truth, in just a moment. But Christian, if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your soul has been purified from sin. And therefore, if our souls are purified from sin, then we shouldn't live in sin. Why would we live in the thing that we have been purified from? You're like getting a bath and then going and rolling around in the mud that we just bathed off in the bathtub. We don't do that, right? Maybe you did that as a kid. Probably everyone did that at some point as a kid and made your mama really mad at you. But we don't do that. We don't get dirty, go get a bath, and then just go get dirty again. We want to try to stay clean. And so... If our souls have been purified from sin, then we don't want to live in sin. And to not love is to sin because God is love. And therefore, if our souls have been purified, we ought to live and love for one another. His purpose statement is interesting here because he's talking about our salvation. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. We can just insert there. Having been saved for a sincere brotherly love. Notice the purpose. That it's interesting. It, Peter is saying you have been saved for the purpose of loving one another with a sincere, genuine love. God said, I thought God saved me so I would get to go to heaven one day. Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. But God saves people to create and restore humanity to the people that he had originally created us to be. And this world is broken by sin. Our lives are broken by sin. So God in his divine plan of salvation 
has sent his son to restore us back to what we were supposed to be in the beginning. And that is humans made in his image that live and love towards one another. It's the purpose of our salvation, which means when we're not living in love towards one another, we are going against, we are swimming against the current of salvation. God has saved us so that we would live in love towards one another. Our obedience to the truth. What is that talking about? Is that talking about a works-based salvation? No. We addressed this back in chapter 1, verse 3, where we, excuse me, verse 2, where we saw that phrase, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Sometimes in Scripture, obedience to the truth or obedience of faith is, is a phrase that's used to refer to our submission to the truth claim of the gospel. And so when you see having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, it's not saying that you've purified your souls because you've done a lot of good things. You've tried to obey the commands of God. Obedience to the truth here is simply another way of saying you have repented and believed the gospel. You have submitted your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what that means. At some point, Christian, in your life, you trusted in Jesus Christ alone. You made a choice to follow Jesus. And so what Peter is saying here in the first part of verse 22 is simply this. Our past choice to obey the gospel demands a present choice to love one another. Our past choice to obey the gospel, to trust in Jesus, to follow Jesus, demands a present choice to love one another. And that's a present choice that we must make on a daily basis, multiple times a day, where over and over we choose to love one another because in the past we chose to follow Christ. What greater atrocity to say that you love Jesus and that you follow Jesus and then to turn around and not love those he has saved. Secondly, our love for one another is to be passionate and pure. Remember, remember, secondly, in this in this section, remember, we said that there's kind of a sandwich going on here. OK, and don't don't let your stomach start growling because I said sandwich. OK, um, you may be thinking, well, who wants a sandwich? That's what I'm eating for lunch today. It's going to be a tomato sandwich and I can't wait. Uh, but but so 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 we have we started with a a. Um, now I'm thinking about tomato sandwiches. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be saying now. See what happened? I was trying to not let you get distracted, and I distracted myself. We had this because statement of, of why we are to love one another, because our souls have been purified. Now we're going to insert before the next because statement how we are to love. And it's just a, a very simple, short phrase that I think is important for us to pay attention to. Notice how love is described in verse 22. Sincere brotherly love. Another way to say sincere would be genuine. Another way to say that would be not hypocritical. It's not a hypocritical type of love where we say one thing and mean something else. We'll come back to that word hypocrite in a few moments. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul said, let love be genuine. And then he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. And a sincere faith. Notice another word used to describe our love. It is earnest. And that's where I get the word passionate from. It is an earnest kind of love. It is strong. It is deep. It is passionate. We see this word used in two other places. And I think it helps us understand the type of love, the way that we're supposed to love that Peter is calling us to. We see this word when Peter was put in prison. In the book of Acts. 
and it says that the believers were earnestly praying for him. Now, let's just put yourselves in, in the shoes of the disciples in, the, in those, that first church there in Jerusalem. Peter, beloved apostle, leader of their church, has just been arrested and put in prison. Do you think they got together for their prayer meeting and they said, Oh Lord, please bless Peter. Amen. And they went about their rest of their business. No, they made earnest prayers, Scripture says. Imagine what that prayer must have looked like as they were crying out to God on behalf of their brother in Christ. We see that word earnest another place in Scripture, and it also has to do with prayer. But it wasn't the believers in the early church that were praying. It was their Savior who was praying. And drops of blood were coming off of his head because he was in so much agony as he knelt down in the garden right before his arrest and crucifixion. It's the same word that Peter uses here. It says that Jesus prayed earnestly. Now, once you think about that word, we're not talking about prayer here, but think about how that word is used two other places in the Bible and now put that in our definition of love. With the same passion that Jesus prayed in the garden before his arrest and crucifixion, we are to love one another with that kind of passion. Not some lackadaisical kind of love that's flippant when we have the time or I, give, I, I love half-heartedly, but it is a passionate, earnest, deep love from a pure heart. That means free free from impurities. Again, genuine, passionate and pure. One writer said this, Love is a terribly debased term today, almost beyond rescue as a description of the good news of the kingdom come in Jesus Christ. We must work to recover an understanding and practice of love. Salvation is living in the way of love. The love Peter has in view is neither a warm, fuzzy feeling nor friendships around a coffee pot after worship. Though love, as Peter defines it, may involve both. Rather, it refers to righteous relationships with each other that are based on God's character, which Christian behavior reflects. So this love is a choice to treat each other well. We know this passage of love that is familiar, especially at weddings in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but really it wasn't written as a wedding passage. It was written to the church and how we're to love one another. And Paul wrote this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. That is the passionate and pure love that we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ, the way that we treat one another. But thirdly, in this section, in verses 22 through 25, we find this. This is that that next because statement. Remember, we had a because statement because we've been purified from our sins. How passionate and purely that's how we're supposed to love. And now another because statement. Our love for one another is prompted by our new life. Our love for one another is prompted by our new life. Because we have new life, we are to love one another. This new life is not something new to our letter here in 1 Peter. We've already been talking about this. In fact, the the phrase that Peter uses, he's already used back in verse 3. And it's this phrase, born again. 
Notice verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Since you have been born again. We're to love one another earnestly from a pure heart because we have been born again. Notice that the first because statement was was our choice to follow God, to follow Christ as our Savior, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, by your choice to follow Jesus. Now he's talking about it from God's perspective. This is a passive word here. It's not something that we've done. It's something that God has done. You have been born again. It's a it's a work of of rebirth that God does inside of us. We saw it back in verse three of chapter one that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And there it was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here it is through the imperishable, living, abiding word of God. We are born again and we are born through the seed of his word. Notice how his word, this seed is described. This new life, you think about a seed, you think about new life, new life being birth and growth that happens. And we'll talk about that growth in just a few minutes. But notice that this seed is imperishable. It is living and it is abiding. It endures. It lasts forever. And then he quotes from God's word. Very appropriately, as he talks about us being born again through the word of God. He turns his reader's attention to the word of God. It's one of those prophecies that we talked about back in verses 10 through 12. We talked about how we have a privileged position because the prophets were writing things down. But now we get the privilege of knowing what they were writing about and they didn't really know it at the time. And so he takes us back to one of those prophecies. And it is in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 and verse 8. And he says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. Well, What is this word that he is talking about? Why does he take us back to Isaiah chapter 40? It's interesting. And we're not going to read all of Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, I jot it down. I encourage you to write us a beautiful uh, chapter there in the book of Isaiah. Uh, But it, it begins with the words comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Well, that would be an appropriate place in Scripture for Peter to turn the attention of his exiles to. They need comforting. They are facing trials and tribulations. They are facing hardships in their lives. We talked about that a little bit, and we're going to see that a lot in the rest of Peter. And so it would make sense that he would refer them back to a chapter in Isaiah that begins, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. But then he says that there's a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It's a good news prophecy. And then he goes on and he says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And he says, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Why is Isaiah reminding them of the endurance of the word of God? Because he wants them to hope in the good news of the word of God, which he then goes right into in verse nine of Isaiah chapter 40. Right after he says that the word of our God will stand forever, he says, get you up to a high mountain 
O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Keeps on going. Notice the good news that Isaiah is called to announce. God is saying the word of God lasts forever. And this word is good news. Comfort, comfort my people. God loves you. God cares about you. He's going to gather you and tend his flock. He's going to show loving kindness and compassion on you. He's rooting this in the gospel. Then go back to first Peter. Notice what first Peter says. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You think Peter was familiar with Isaiah chapter 40? You think he just had memorized these two verses and tried to throw them out there? No, he knew exactly what Isaiah was talking about. He is talking about comfort that comes from knowing that there is good news, that there is a gospel message about a Messiah. And it is a word, it is a good news word that endures forever. And now put it back in the context of what Peter is talking about and talking about love. He's saying love one another because you have been born again through a gospel word, a gospel promise that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it is a word, it is a gospel that never fades away. Why then wouldn't we want to live our lives in accordance with this gospel? And this gospel is salvation that flows into our lives for the purpose of brotherly love. When we think about the elect exiles that Peter's writing to, life was hard. Whenever life is hard, it's easy to doubt the goodness of God. It's easy to doubt that God is really caring for us. And as soon as we begin to doubt the character of God, it becomes really easy to not love God. And we're not loving God, we're not going to obey God. And so, when we're living in difficult times, sometimes it's hard to obey the command to love one another. And so Peter comforts them with the good news of the gospel, saying that it lasts forever. Remember, we've already seen that our trials are temporary back in chapter 1, verse 7. Though for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. And then, as we think about Enduring good news that will last long after the temporary suffering of this life. We're led to earnestly love one another even when it's hard. And even when it's difficult. He's saying that we are new creations of God. 
We have been born again. God's word is planted in us, sprouting with new life. And if it's his seed in us, then the fruit produced will be matched up with him. God is love. Therefore, if it's his seed, his word, his gospel in us, we will be living in love. It's not optional for those who have been born again. So this first command in this passage is to love one another. But then he has a second command, and this is our, our, our second uh, main truth in this passage. Remember, we're talking about the privilege of salvation comes with responsibility. First, to love one another genuinely. And secondly, to live with a longing for your behavior to match your status as an exile. I know that's kind of wordy, but it's an interesting command that we're given here. Live with a longing for your behavior to match your status as an exile. Notice verses 2 through 3. This is right on the heels of this command to love one another. And in fact, we can see in chapter 2, verse 1, he's still talking about loving one another. He's just talking about what not to do. If we're going to love one another, then we can't do these things. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then verse 2, he says, like newborn infants, and here's the command, long For the pure spiritual milk. There's the command. First command in this passage was to love one another. Verse 22. Second command in this passage is to long for the pure spiritual milk. What in the world is this pure spiritual milk? And what does it mean to long after it? Let's start with the pure spiritual milk. What is he he referring to? There's like three different ways that you could translate this word. That in my translation is translated spiritual. There's a couple other ways you could translate it. What, what, is he, what is he trying to say here? What is he saying? How do we understand it? I'll try to make this as simple as I know how as I've been uh, studying and trying to learn what this phrase means. There's one other place that we find the same word that's translated spiritual in Scripture. And it's found in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. And there, after Paul has spent 11 chapters talking about the, the free gift of salvation that God gives us through Jesus Christ, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, and here's the same word from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, which is your spiritual worship, which is your spiritual worship. It's easier to see what Paul is talking about there in chapter 12, verse 1. So we'll use that to help us understand what Peter's talking about when he uses that same word. In chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans, Paul is simply calling the believers to live lives of obedience in keeping with their salvation. He's saying you have been saved, therefore live that way. It's clearly that's what Paul is saying in Romans. Now let's take that thought, that word, and, and put that here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. In other words, he's saying long for your life and the way you live to match up with who you are as an elect exile. You have been saved. Therefore, long that your life would look like you have been saved. This word long is a beautiful word. It's used in Psalm chapter 42, verse 1. As the deer pants or longs for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. And then he gives a 
really easy to understand if you've ever been around a baby illustration. Like newborn infants long. How does a newborn infant long for milk? A newborn infant goes, I sure am hungry. I'd like some food. Let me, let me give out a little cry and see if anybody listens. Oh, nobody heard me. I'll just be quiet for a while. So what happens, right? No. A newborn infant goes, I'm hungry. Over and over and over and over until that longing is satisfied. As the deer, the thirsty deer longs for the streams of water. It's going to do anything it takes to quench the thirst. As that baby, that newborn infant longs and is going to do anything it takes. And all that baby can do is cry. So it's going to cry, cry, she's going to cry, he's going to cry until that thirst is quenched. That's how we are to long for our lives to look like our status as an exile. We are to look like we are citizens of heaven because we are. Let me give you three quick thoughts. Really already talked about one of them that we find here about this love. And how we are long, should long for our lives to look like who we are in Christ, which means we are to long to love one another well. Notice verse 1. He tells us what we're to put away. That word put away is used for taking clothes off. Saying just like you would strip your clothes off of you, you can just strip away these practices. Because these practices are not in keeping with love. What does he say? Strip away malice. What is malice? It's a general word referring to all evil intentions. One writer says the vicious nature which is bent on doing harm to others. Really anything that would hurt another and hinder love. He says we're to put away deceit. What is deceit? It's underhandedly acting for your own profit at the expense of another. Put that away. Strip that away from you. We're to put away hypocrisy. Oh, there we go. Right back to where we were at. We're to love one another with an unhypocritical love. So therefore, we ought to get rid of any hypocrisy in our relationships. What is hypocrisy? I I like what one writer said. He said it's a man who all the time is acting a part, a man who all the time is concealing his real motives, a man who meets you with a face which is very different from his heart and with words which are very different from his real feelings. Someone who is two-faced. You don't really know who that person is because they put on a mask. We're to strip that kind of living away. We're to strip away from ourselves envy. I like to think about envy this way. It's saying, I love what you have more than I love you. I would rather I would rather you lose what you have and I get it. Because I'm more in love with what you have than you. It's the opposite of the love that God calls us to. And then the final thing he tells us to strip away is slander. Strip away this slander. What is slander? It's a speech that tears someone down rather than builds them up. And it often happens when they're not present to defend themselves. We like to call that gossip. Again, I, I read this about gossip and I, I just wanted to share it with you because I, I, think it, I think it gets to the heart of how unloving it is. There's nothing so attractive as listening to spicy gossip unless it be repeating the slanderous and malicious tale. It's hard to hear, but it's so true. There's nothing so attractive as listening to spicy gossip unless it be repeating the slanderous and malicious tale. I can't wait to hear it. 
And then I'm even more excited to tell somebody else. Disparaging gossip is something which everyone deplores and which everyone admits to be wrong and which at the same time almost everyone enjoys. And yet there is nothing more productive of trouble and of heartbreak and nothing which is so destructive of brotherly love and Christian unity. If you are craving, if you are longing to love one another because you're craving and longing to live for God, you will get rid of unloving behavior in your life. And if you're not actively getting rid of unloving behavior in your life, then you're not really longing after godly living. What does it mean to get rid of these things? Well, it starts with confession. Confessing to God and perhaps confessing to someone else. Unloving behavior. Repenting of it, turning from it. Casting yourself once again upon the mercies of God to forgive you and to help you not live that way anymore. Secondly, it's a because statement. We long for this so that we will grow up into salvation. Another way to say this is you long, you long for this lifestyle so that you'll grow to look like who you are. That's what it means to grow up into salvation. Salvation is something that's happened in the past. We have been saved. Salvation is something that's coming in the future. We are going to be saved. Well, what about in the meantime? Well, we wait for Christ to come, but we don't wait with inactivity. In the meantime, we're to be growing in our salvation. Paul said it this way in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation, but work out the salvation that you have graciously been given. We ought to long to look more and more like the citizens of heaven that we are. Oh, we like to we like to talk about and sing about the fact that we belong in heaven and that's what we get to look forward to one day. But as much as we long to be in heaven one day, we ought to be longing to look like citizens of heaven right now in our lives, in the world in which we live. It ought to be our heartbeat to look like who we are. People who belong to God. And then notice how he ends. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We long because we've experienced the goodness of Jesus. Have you experienced the goodness of Jesus? He quotes here from Psalm chapter 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted the sweetness of having your sins washed away? Have you tasted the sweetness of knowing that God loves you in spite of who you are? Have you tasted the sweetness not living under the shame of that past sin? Have you tasted the sweetness of knowing that right now God is continuing to pour His grace into your life? Have you tasted that sweetness? Oh, it's so good. It's so rich. It's so beautiful. And so our motivation for loving one another well and longing to love one another more and more it's not some kind of sense of duty. Oh, I guess I've got to do this. Or God's going to be mad at me. No. We say, I have tasted the goodness of the Lord. So it is a privilege for me. I want nothing more than to taste that love more and more and more. How do we do that? By conforming our lives. Not to the passions of our former ignorance, but to the standard of living to which God has called us to in Christ Jesus.
love one another with a sincere brotherly love. And long, long, like a baby crying for milk, long to keep growing, keep growing, keep growing in your walk with the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's a reminder of how we belong to the Lord and how we are to keep growing. It's all the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God has convicted your heart today of not loving a brother or sister in Christ well, then what you need to do is to run to the cross. Don't walk out of here saying, mm, I, need to stop. I need to stop doing that and I need to stop, I need to stop having envy in my heart and I'm going to do better and I'm going to do better and all about what I can do. What you first need to do is run to the cross and be reminded of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And then let that free, beautiful gift of salvation that's purified your soul then lead you to live in love for one another. Would you join me in prayer, Father? Penetrate this word into our hearts. Help us to be obedient to what you call us to do. Father, in this moment as we sing and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, Lord, if there be any evil way in us, Father, I pray that we would use this opportunity to confess that to you, repent before you, so that then we're ready to celebrate your goodness towards us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.